Well, God bless you guys. Good morning. Uh, Lee, I'm sorry. Can you bring me my water? I left it it there. Hey, so we are uh, moving along in a conversation. Actually, next week, thank you, honey, is uh, our last in this series. And uh, I wanted to start our year differently than you might be accustomed to. Uh, This is the time of the year when uh, some of you are at New Beginnings. And uh, you're, you're trying to introduce new disciplines, new behaviors, new ways of thinking, um, uh, new, new, new approaches to life, uh, new, new ways of handling things in your life. And others of you are uh, kind of trying to return and, and um, uh, re- revisit things that you've walked away from and restore things that maybe have been uh, broken or discarded in your life. Um, maybe you're trying to reintroduce new habits that you stopped doing, but you know that you should continue doing. Um, Both of those are going to require the biggest enemy that we face in a season like this. It's the one that creates uh, tension in our life. It's the one that's the most disruptive. It's the most uncomfortable. It's the most difficult thing to introduce because we resist it as much as we possibly can, even though we want it, and that's change. Change is hard. Change is really, really hard. As a matter of fact, change is so hard that if we could, if we could get everything we wanted from life without changing, we would do that. If we could get the best marriage possible without changing a single thing, we would choose that option right? So when we're in this conversation, we're in it because we need to start celebrating the wins of just getting started, just introducing the change that's going to facilitate, we hope, the better living, the better finances, the better marriage, the better thinking, the better way of talking, the better actions, the better behavior, the better faith, the better emotional health, the better physical health, Change, though, is really, really disruptive, and it makes us want to resist it. I told you when we first started about Israel, and they had just been freed from decades of captivity to the Babylonians because of sort of their pride and turning their back on God. They, they sort of put themselves in this position like we do sometimes. We find ourselves facing the consequences of our own bad behavior of our own bad choices, and that was Israel. And they were now free from Babylon, and they were reestablishing, they were returning. And so a lot of change in their lives. And they started building, they had put down uh, um, uh, the foundation of the new temple. Remember, the temple was where all of their culture was, all of their connection was, all of their unity, all of their identity, their purpose. The temple is where the community met and, and connected, and it meant something. It represented God's favor and God's covering and God's protection. It was super, super important for them. But some of the people who remembered what it was like to to enjoy Solomon's temple, which was this elaborate, amazing, big, beautiful temple, truly honored God and was a place that people loved to gather and worship God When they saw the foundations of this new temple being built, it says they began to cry out 
They began to mourn and weep and they began to get angry because of this really humble footstone that was set in place. It was a really discouraging season for them because they were getting started and for some it felt like they were returning to past glory and that was the problem right there is they made the tragic mistake of comparing this almost immeasurably small start to what they knew, that ideal, that beauty, that memory of how good things could be. That was the problem as they looked at this just footstones and and this foundation, it looked so small and insignificant, and they were comparing it to this ideal inside their head. And that is what frustrates you and I as we get started in seasons like this, as we look at these small beginnings and we get frustrated and we get depressed and we just give up. But God used the prophet Zechariah and said this, Do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Don't you get it? That God's happy just when we start doing something. Just facing change, God's rejoicing in it. And that's the perfect complement to a passage from 2 Corinthians 5-7, which maybe you're familiar with. The path we walk is charted by faith, not by what we see with our eyes. We walk by faith, not by sight. You may have heard it said that way. The path we walk. And what Paul's actually talking about, you see, in, in, our, in our walk of faith, we sometimes think that faith is expressed or experienced or, or displayed by some big, huge circumstance that requires this huge summoning of our faith and we can kind of prove we've got it. And if we've got it, this miracle happens, we can move the mountain. And if we don't got it, We come back to church Sunday and hope worship's really good and hope the message is relevant and then we get, you know, worked up and we think, okay, maybe now I've got enough. But that's really not what Paul, every single thing that Paul talks about when it comes to expressing and experiencing our faith, he talks about in this minute by minute, moment by moment, hour by hour, decision by decision, brick by brick, mortar, brick, mortar, brick. Choice by choice, thought by thought, word by word, action by action. That is how faith is displayed in our life, these, these, these steps that we take. Nobody who's ever won a race hopped up from where they were, floated through the air, and landed across the finish line. They took step after step after step, and the success, the success of them winning the race was determined by the success of individual steps because one misstep can lose you time and momentum and strength. It can cause you to tumble and and, and, and fall and experience pain and, and maybe the kind of fear that prevents you from getting back up and doing it again. I love what John Maxwell said, great pastor for many years, author, leadership expert, he says, small disciplines repeated with consistency every day. Small disciplines repeated with consistency every day lead to great achievements gained slowly over time. You and I want the finished product before we even start. We want to microwave our success We were talking about it. I'm not sure why we were talking about it. 
but the standing in front of the microwave. We're so used to instant gratification that we can't walk away and do something. We put it in for two minutes and we stand there looking at it, just going, how long does a microwave take these days? I mean, it's, come on. It's a potato. How hard is it to, it used to take 45 minutes in the oven to cook a potato. We're upset when it takes two. So we're going to talk about small steps. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is going to feel a little bit like, um, ah, a little bit like a training or a, a, a coaching. I want it to feel as practical as I meant it to be. So, so if I don't stir you up and, 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 and make you feel like you're ready to charge out and take on the world, that's on purpose because sometimes we flame out when we leave a room ready to take on the world. If you're ready to take on the parking lot, this is the message for you, okay? Number one, big things this year will happen if I keep taking small steps in growing the faith I'm committed to, growing the faith I'm committed to. So here's something that may cause relief for many of you, or it may cause stress for many of you. Faith is not something that naturally occurs in us. Even as Christ followers, faith does not occur naturally as emotions do. Emotion you'll feel naturally. That's part of your just sort of mental makeup, okay? Sort of written into you. Faith, on the other hand, is a supernatural, I'll call it an, an energy, a tether to God that God plants in you, that God gifts to you. Faith comes from God and is given to you. The growth of that faith, the health of that faith, the strength of that faith, that's contingent on the time and the energy you put into nurturing that faith. So it is supernaturally given to you by God, but naturally cultivated by you and I. And so here's some things you have to do for it. Number one, you've got to read for it. You've got to read for your faith. Listen to what it says in Romans 15, 4. You see, everything written in the days of old was recorded to give us instructions for living. Now, these, the New Testament hadn't been written at this point. So this is talking about Old Testament scripture. The Psalms, the Proverbs, the writings of the prophets, those were all instructional. It was a history of humankind and their relationship with God. And it said, you see, everything written in the old days was recorded to give us instructions for living. We find encouragement through the scriptures and call to perseverance that will produce hopeful living. And I'm going to tell you this, we're no longer under uh, much of what the Old Testament served to do. Uh, the New Testament is also called the New Covenant. It's the new system in which God relates to humankind. So if it was true of the Old Testament to help them learn how to live, how much more true is it that we understand the teachings of Christ, the behavior of Christ, the writings of the, the epistles of Paul, the letters to the churches, the acts of the apostles, what they did in the early church, where we look to their lives, we see the mistakes they made, we see the passion they had for God, we see what paid off and what didn't, we see how to act, we see what Jesus told us to do. You have to read for it. Secondly, you've got to talk about it. Romans 10, 17 says this, 
So faith comes by what is heard. Faith comes by hearing. And what is heard comes through the message about Christ. In other words, faith comes by hearing people, including yourself, talk about Christ. Your faith is increased when you talk. So if someone sat in front of you and talked about um, how an internal combustion engine works, that's what most of the cars on the road uh, are, your, your, your normal cars. Electric cars don't work that way, but most cars work on an internal combustion engine. And they just said, well, so your, your, your fuel goes in through your fuel injection and it sprays a really fine mist, but also there's an air intake and there's a filtered air that gets mixed with that. It turns into this vapor and that your spark plug creates a spark and then creates an explosion inside of a cylinder, which pushes a piston, which then moves your rods. And those rods move the engine, and it turns, and it creates a revolution. And that revolution turns things, and blah, blah, blah. The more they talked about it, the more you would understand about it. Maybe not at first, but maybe they drew a thing, and then they talked about it a little more. And they go, well, let's just talk about this for a minute. Anything you talk about is going to increase your knowledge of it. Faith... Faith being that it's not of humans, right? We didn't generate faith. You talk about Christ and your faith is going to grow. So when you're in a small group and you're talking about how faith looks in, in, in everyday life and how to talk to people and how to do marriage right and how to handle your money and, and how to relate and how to think. And when you talk about what faith looks like, what Jesus says about those things, your faith is increased. And then third is this, you have to pray through it. So one of the greatest mistakes that we make as followers of Christ and one of the most discouraging things that we face is that we believe that in order to go to God in prayer, you have to come with your faith ready to go, polished, nearly perfect, this, 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 this lion's share of faith so that you can go and, 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 and not stand in any doubt and I know that there's maybe even been teaching that misleads us into believing that, but there's nothing that could be further from the truth. That we have to have flawless faith in order to believe for God to do something. You see, because your faith is never going to be sufficient or equal to God's power. You're not putting as much energy into God answering the prayer as God is putting into it. We get that, right? So no matter how much faith you come with, it's still going to be insufficient to do the miracle. So you are counting on the fact that you come with whatever little faith that you have and God will do all that God will do. There's a perfect illustration of this in Mark 9, 23 and 24. So let me, you can leave that up there, but I'm going to give you just a little bit of preface. This man had come to Jesus, he got his attention and he told him about his son who had been having these violent seizures in which he dropped to the ground, he went mute, he couldn't speak, he would foam at the mouth, he would gnash at his teeth, he would flail about when this demon would oppress him and would, would uh, cause great pain and strife in him. He came to Jesus and he said, if you can help, if you can do anything to help, please do it. He said, if you can help. And this is how Jesus responded. If you can if you can help, Jesus said, everything is possible for the one who believes. 
And this is how the man responds, and it is the perfect, perfect response to not coming with perfect faith. He says, right away the boy's father cried out, I do believe in this hand, but help me overcome my unbelief in this hand. I got to tell you, there's enough of me that believes that I came to you, but enough of me that's doubting because it feels like it's impossible because we've looked everywhere else because I don't even know you that well and I'm not even sure you can do it and you might be a fraud and you might be what everybody says. You might be some trickster. You might be some lunatic who thinks he's God. There's doubt even mixed in with his faith. And so he says, help me believe even though I don't believe perfectly. That's how you begin to grow your faith. You read about it, you talk about it, and you pray through. You just keep praying. Fake it until you make it, and you probably won't ever make it because there's going to be more and more circumstances that test the capacity of your faith, and you're never going to feel equipped with enough faith to come and say, God, this is so enormous, I don't even know that you can do it. And God says, if I can do it, And you say, I believe God, but you've got to help me with the other part in which I don't believe. Secondly, big things this year will happen if I keep taking small steps. And number two, serving the people I'm connected to. Serving the people I'm connected to. So when I was uh, 16, like every 16-year-old, I was biting at the bit to get my driver's license. So I was studying when I was 15. I had the Missouri State driver's manual and I was studying and I went in and took my permit exam and I got a 90%, right? That was, I was pretty proud of myself. I knew the questions, I knew the material and they still didn't give me my license. You don't get your license because of what you know, not just because of what you know. I still had to prove that I could practically drive. Because everything at that point was theoretical. Everything was just head knowledge. It wasn't exercised in, 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 in the practical, in the real world. So I had to go prove to them to take a practical test and demonstrate that I could. You see, because what difference does it make if I know how many yards before a stoplight uh, or before a turn that I have to signal if I don't know how to drive? What good is it to know which direction I turn my wheels if I'm parked on a curb heading uphill or downhill? None of that matters if I can't get behind the wheel and safely drive a vehicle. So I took my test and I got a 95. So even practically, I drove better than what I knew. And that's the better way to do it. And you think, please tell me there's a point to this story. And there is. 1 John 3.18 says this. My children, our love should not be only words and talk. No, our love must be real. In other words, it's not real if we just think about it, talk about it, and and it's just all theoretical. We must show our love by the things that we do. It's better to get a 95 on the practical application of love than it is to get a 100 on knowing all the things you're supposed to say, all the things you're supposed to do, but you don't do any of them. And Jesus is in the middle of this perfect illustration of what loving people in real time, in real life looks like. This is John 13, 12 through 17. 
It says this, after he finished, this is Jesus and his disciples who were there among a crowd of other people, by the way. And it says, after Jesus had finished washing their feet, this was a a lowly behavior that only servants would do. Uh, They traveled in very dusty, I've been to um, Central America, I've been to India, I've been to Africa, and almost everywhere else but developed nations like ours, streets, roads, pathways, they're all very, very clay, dirt, dusty. They don't have paved roads mostly, they don't have gravel roads mostly, it's all very, very dirty. You're dirty all the time. So washing somebody's feet was not a pleasant thing to do. So This was extraordinary that Jesus, a teacher and a master, would do this. After he finished washing their feet, he took his robe and he put it back on. They would tie their robe around their feet and set the person's foot in their lap. And he went back to his place at the table, probably at the head of the table, by the way. And then he said, do you understand what I've done to you? Do you understand the significance of this? You all address me as teacher and master, and you rightly do so. That is what I am. So if I'm the master and the teacher and I washed your feet, you must wash each other's feet. I've just demonstrated it for you. I've laid down a pattern for you, an illustration, an example. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. A servant's not ranked above his master and an employee doesn't give orders to the employer. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it, and live a blessed life. Jesus says, blessing and growth, health, prosperity, favor comes from us serving those that we're connected to. And we are connected to not only followers of Christ through being uh, siblings in our relationship with God, but we are connected to the unbelieving world, to what are outsiders, to those who don't walk in faith yet, because God so loved them, so loved us, came to us while we were still yet sinners, his love was so powerful that our sin drew us to him and drew him to us. He didn't want there to be the separation anymore. And so that means every single person in our life, we are connected to serve in the same humility, in the same practical way that Jesus did. And third, and finally is this, Big things this year will happen if I keep taking small steps in using my resources as God tells me to. And this is where I lost a bunch of you. The reason is, is because I could say, hey, if 80% of you were having affairs on your spouses, would you think it was inappropriate of me to coach you and teach you and bring up scripture and bring up God's heart and mind on the power, strength, sacredness, holiness of marriage, nobody would object to that at all. But if 80% aren't using, spending, delegating, um, managing, stewarding resources the way God tells us to, everyone thinks, mind your own business. That's all churches do is talk about money. Well, I'll tell you this, it talks way more about money than it does about marriage. It talks way more about money than almost anything else because money seems to be the thing. And I heard it again last night on some show. Oh, it was on Jeopardy. And I thought, a show that's all about knowledge, they should have gotten this right. And the question was posed, or the answer in Jeopardy, the answer was, 
It is said to be the root of all evil and blah, 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 and blah, blah. It was celebrity jeopardy, so it was a lot of dumb, dumb questions, right? And so it, the answer was money. You just, it didn't even have, it was like, and it starts with M and ends with Y. And the celebrities are like, well, I don't even know what that is. So I got, I was so, I, I answered it immediately because on Celebrity Jeopardy, I'm a champ. I get like 90% of them right. On the real one, I'm like, I am dumb. I should not be alive. Uh, but I got, I got to be honest, like I stopped hearing everything because I, I thought money the Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil because money can do wonderful things. As a matter of fact, God set up an economy. First, God set up a community. It was first Israel. And Israel was the nation of God. They were the chosen of God. And then in the New Testament, we're grafted into that community. It means because of our relationship with Christ, there is no difference between Gentile, a non-Jew, and a Jew, Scythian, barbarian, male, female, uh, uh, slave, free. Everyone is equal in the eyes of God. And in this community, God has taught us how to treat one another. God has taught us how to relate to one another, how to serve one another, how to uh, talk to others who aren't in that community and tell them about the wonders of the message of Christ. There's all kinds of instructions. And in this community, dating all the way back to the nation of Israel, there was a law dictating that they would share their resources so that the temple, the place of worship, managed by the Levites, the priest, would be distributed amongst those who came to the temple. And it was set up so that not one or two or five or 20 people would carry the burden of meeting the needs of everybody, but every single person would share a little, pay in, and it would do two things. It would honor God and say, God, I, I live in obedience to you, and I sacrifice this, my first and my best, and I give it to you as a gift so that you can, through your leadership, distribute that and feed the people. So let me read some passages to you. Because God tells us to give in three different ways, tells us to use our resources in three different ways. Number one, he tells us to give uh, responsively. Also responsibly, which I was torn on whether to do that, but responsively. In other words, to give in response to something. Not just blindly give, but give in response to something. Malachi 3.10 says this, bring your full tithe into the temple treasure. Right before this, God had said, you're stealing from me. And they said, how in the world are we stealing from you? And he said, in holding back the tithe. And then he gave them instruction. said, bring the full tithe, 10%, to the temple treasury so there will be an ample provision in my temple. Test me in this. And see if I don't open up heaven itself to you and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. Now, I'm even guilty of sort of quoting this and making it directed at us that blessings are going to be poured into your life beyond your wildest dreams. It, it literally does mean, though, that God will provide such ample provision to the community that they won't even be able to contain it in the temple. That there isn't enough storeroom in the temple that all that came in, all the needs are being met and there's still some left over. He says this in Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best 
your barns will burst, your wine vats will brim over. That is to you. That is to me. Offering God what's left over after all the bills are paid, after all the expenses are done, and then whatever's left over, we just sort of toss it off to God. That you'll get the appropriate response to. Bring the first and the best to God, blessing comes. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says this to the teachers because some of you are like, yes, but you're quoting the law. First of all, I will say this, tithe is pre-law, but you are right, it was included in the law. And I say, the law has very little to say to you and I about how to live our lives today, with the exception that there are moral principles included in it. There are logical principles included in it. For instance, the law says you should not murder. We go, well, that's the law. Oh, we don't live according to the law anymore. I'm free under grace to murder as many people as I want. No, you aren't actually. As a matter of fact, Jesus escalates the responsibility we have to the moral law By this, he says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. I say unto you, any man that lusts after a woman in his heart, he has also committed adultery. Jesus says, not only should you not be doing it in bed, you shouldn't be doing it in your head. And he says, not only shouldn't you be murdering, you shouldn't hate because hate is murder. So when it comes to the matter of tithe, here's what Jesus does. It'll be bad for you teachers of the law and you Pharisees. You're hypocrites. You give a tenth, your first and your best, of the food you get, even your mint, dill, and cumin. He's like, you're, you're getting all these tiny little spices, and you're like, with a credit card, you're squeeze, you're just, there's 10% for God. But you don't obey the really important teachings of the law. In other words, you have the letter of the law, you've missed the spirit of the law. Why God instructs us, being fair, showing mercy, being faithful. These are the things that you should do. And you should also continue to do the other things. You should also, do not neglect the former is what it says in other translations. Jesus said, you need to add really good things to the letter of the law. And not only that, that's the lane we drive in because we just want this house to be full. We want needs to be met here. We want everyone who sits at the table to consume to be one who helped lay out the feast. Not that a hundred gather at the table, but 20 brought food. Well, I brought a can of Diet Coke. I mean, there's only enough for me. It got quiet. He tells us to give generously. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says this, but I'll say this to encourage your generosity. The one who plants little harvest, the one who plants little harvests little, and the one who plants uh, plenty harvests plenty. Just a, he, he goes, I'm just going to give you a mathematical principle. As farmers, you should understand, put down 10 seeds, you're going to get a very small crop. Throw out handfuls of seed, you're going to get a very generous crop. And I I was going to wait till next week. I'll I'll let it out now. 
I already told the staff I wasn't going to do it today, but I'm going to do it today. So we set out to raise $7,500 for the children's ministry makeover, Summit Kids Makeover. And I will be honest, I was getting nervous because we'd only brought in about 45% and there was only a few weeks left. And then because of the generosity of, here's what was magical about it. Half were really large gifts. And that would have been great because we would have ultimately maybe ended up with enough anyway. But that wouldn't have really done what it was supposed to do, which is get us all involved in being generous. And then about half of it was from smaller gifts. A bunch of people gave to that. And so we, instead of 7,500, which I'm going to tell you didn't actually meet the expenses because there were some divider walls that we had to get and some pipe and drape that we had to get that was going to cost about another four or $5,000 more. We are just going to kind of do a phase two or maybe figure out somewhere else to get the money. Almost $14,000 has come in. Isn't that awesome? And I will tell you that many of those who gave already tithe. They didn't do it in place of it. They did it in addition to it. And I'll tell you, there is blessing that comes as a result of that. And then third, he just tells us to give joyfully. If you're sitting there with your butt cheeks clenched right now and your teeth grinding and you just can't wait to get through this, I'm going to tell you that I'm not going to persuade you If you think that this is some setup for your financial destruction, I I don't have the power to persuade you. This is going to be between you and the Holy Spirit. He's going to have to work on your heart and fix whatever weirdness you've got going on. Okay? Don't project your weirdness on me or us. This isn't an unbiblical thing because you don't feel good about it. Right? <laughs> the people whose butts are clenched aren't answering me. It's the, it's the unclenched that are, that are... 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says this. It says, giving grows out of the heart. Giving is something that's been resolved here and then it's expressed out here. Otherwise, you've reluctantly grumbled yes because you felt you had to or because you couldn't say no. But this isn't the way God wants it, for we know that God loves a cheerful giver. That translates, actually literally means a hilarious giver. One who finds such excitement and joy in it. They can't contain that joy. Isn't that awesome? And I'm going to tell you that you have to get your heart right. And I will tell you this. Here's a promise I'll make to you. If you, on this third thing, to give as God tells you to give, there's two lanes in which we drive as followers of Christ. There's obedience, that's the lane of the tithe, and that's not generosity. If I gave you $100 and I said the condition is, when I ask for it back, you give me $10. Sound fair? And you go, my gosh, that's an amazing deal. You you provide me with $100 and I just have to give you $10 back? That's it. Okay, I'll do that. Perfect. 
And then later you come up to me and you go, come here, PC, come here. Come here, I just put out your hand. I've just been feeling super generous and I want you, I want, between you and me, I want you to have this. And I open it up and it's $10. You weren't being generous. You were just being obedient to the agreement. Right? Now, if you'd given $50, that would have been generous because that was beyond our agreement. Because you just go, I can't even believe how blessed I am to be a recipient of this blessing. And I, I know you didn't ask for this back, but I, I just want, take Lisa out, just do something. Here's the 10, because that was our agreement. But here's 40 more because I just feel in my heart I want to do that. That's the other lane, generosity. <clears throat> you will not be able to pull your car off the shoulder and get into either one of those lanes unless there is something in your heart that lets you know that this is part of your growth, your journey, your faith walk as a follower of Christ. And I'm going to tell you this. I know this from personal experience, walking, walking around the car, idling, sitting on the side for a long time, that when I was able to move into those lanes, things that were unrelated to money began to change in my life. I began to see freedom and trust and faith and confidence and joy in areas that I wasn't experiencing it because I had finally let go and began to trust God on a completely different level than I ever had before. And now, now, it is not, it is so second nature. It is so, I go, I do Chase online bill pay, and it's just one of my, and I go down and I click it and I fill it out and I go in and I make sure that whatever the direct deposit was, I go 10, and I always round up. I always go, I'm not good at math, but like my mortgage, I'll always pay like 40 cents more. I just round, I, we're, I like even numbers, whatever. I know that's not going to save me anything down at the end. I'm not shaving months off my, my, my mortgage, right? But I just go, God, I want to err on the side of doing more than you require me to do. And things are going to break free. But you've got to start celebrating the wins of, of just getting on the starting line and beginning to grow your faith. Pray your faith. Talk about your faith. Read your faith. Begin to serve. Let your selfishness and, and your self-centeredness die at the feet of people who might not even appreciate the foot washing who might not understand the significance of it, but you're not called to have reciprocity. It's not meant to be you serve them, they serve you. You just get down and, because none of them washed Jesus's feet, he wouldn't even allow it. He did it to demonstrate that serving is a humble act that goes one way. And then start praying in your heart, God, tell me how to give and I'll do it. And you know that he's already given the instruction. Do the important things without neglecting the former. Don't stop tithing just because it's part of the letter of the law, but get the spirit of the law right. And the spirit of the law is, I want to find joy in the fact that God's entrusted me with blessing. And I'll tell you this, God moves blessing through people. The more he can trust you to pass it on, the more he will give you. I've seen it time and time again. There's people that sit in this church right now that are highly favored and blessed because they are passer honors of blessing. They don't hold on to any of their resources tightly. 
I've learned so much from them. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I just want to ask you if you heard something today that challenged you to move onto the starting line, to move into your first few steps, to begin to grow your faith, to begin to serve better, to begin to give in the ways that God tells you to give. If any of that spoke to you and you want to say, yes, God, I'm going to begin today taking those small, consistent, faithful steps so that I can see big things happen in my life. If that's your commitment, just throw a hand up. Yes, that's me. Yep, yep, yeah, lots, lots of us. Well, God, you know that faith isn't something we summon. It's not something we stir up. We're not going to be able to do it. You said we walk by faith and not by sight. Sight tells us, I'm too busy to get into reading the word every day. I don't have time in the morning. I, I, I get distracted when I pray. I just can't think of things. And God, just increase our desire, if anything, Lord. Give us, give us just the, 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 the simple whisper in the morning. Pray before you do anything. Read a verse, read a chapter, read something. Just begin that daily time devoted to growing your faith. And God, as I see people, there are endless needs around me that I can serve. Humbly, emotional needs, physical needs, financial needs, practical needs, God, just give me the creative mind to pick it up on my radar and then get on my knees and wash their feet. Whatever, that was the practical need that they had. They were dirty and Jesus washed their feet. So wherever we find the practical need, let us be responsive to serve. And God, help each one of us overcome that obstacle. The manna God in our life, the love of this thing that controls us so frequently Let us love you more, listen to you more, watch you more so that we can be those who pass blessing through us for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.